Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are listening to the Free Your Mind show with April's Dawn. And you know what? I'm just going to launch straight into the show today. I have some guests in the studio and we're going to be talking about the 16 days of action. And I'm going to explain a bit more about the 16 days. But before I do, I'd like to introduce Christine Morgan, who is the CEO of EVE, domestic abuse charity based in Northampton. Christine's going to talk to you about an event that's happening tomorrow evening that's super important. She wants to get the message out there. It's around domestic abuse and violence. It's around coercive control. Um, so she's going to, you know, welcome Christine. Hi. I'm talking a lot, aren't I? I'm kind of rattling on. <laughs> thank you for coming and thank you for, um, for being here to talk about 16 Days and the work of Eve. So could you give us a bit of background? Tell us about Eve and then also what's happening tomorrow evening at the University of Northampton. Thank you so much for having me. So um, Eve is a domestic abuse charity. We've been working in the county for 40 years now, over 40 years now, and we have um, provided support for more than 12,500 women to be able to get the healing that they wanted from domestic abuse. So. Tomorrow, as part of 16 Days of Activism, which starts officially on the 25th on Saturday, we are holding a really important event at the University of Northampton. We're showing a film called Love. And the film is written and produced by Samantha Beckinsale. And it's about domestic abuse and coercive control and how that impacts um, the family and how coercive control can be used by a perpetrator to control the, the, the victim. So it's really important to um, both awareness of domestic abuse, but also for the 16 days of activism. Um, it starts at 6.30 um, tomorrow evening and um, everybody's welcome. You do have to sign up and I'm sure April will give us the link later um, to be able to do that. Absolutely. Thank you, Christine. Do you know, I, you have to come back onto the show. I know we've got time constraints. You have other meetings. It's a busy time, um, busy time of year, um, but it's always busy around domestic abuse. And um, as one of our local charities, the work that Eve um, do is, well, it's so important. It's, um, it's valued and it's much needed in our community. So thank you, Christine. I will share a bit more about the event later on. And I just want to quickly introduce Shanaz and Mita. Now, um, a few weeks ago, well, in fact, it was a few months ago now, wasn't it? You had an event, you've created this um, collaboration called She Speaks, yeah. and you had an event around domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. um, if you can just, in one minute, just quickly, just give us an overview of what that looked like and what it's about. And then Mita, because um, Shanaz has to leave as well, <laughs> Mita will continue um, the conversation um, further on into the show. So welcome, ladies. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for, for being here. I'm sorry about the rush, but just give me an overview. I want to hear your voice, Shanaz, before you go. What she speaks about. Oh, okay. Hello. Thank you for having us, um, first of all. So She Speaks is a platform. We came together, Angel, um, Chandi and I, we came together to put put a kind of a platform together to share vo our voice, especially coming from diverse backgrounds as well. You know, usually topics are pushed under the carpet, um, taboo topics like domestic abuse. So we really feel felt like it was important to kind of put something together where we can come together, not just women, you know, men as well, to kind of share their voice. And that's, that's the crux of it, really. And Shanaz. And it's been an absolute honour to be able to be alongside people like Mita and Christine, April yourself. Um, and I know you're going to hear from Parol a bit um, later on. You know, if we don't take this opportunity now to speak our truths in a space that is supportive, that is non-judgmental, mm. that absolutely listens from the heart, from the mind, full, fully to the experiences that we've had, then all that happens is it continues to get pushed down. Mm. That then manifests, doesn't it, as continuing cycles, more stress, 
um, more ill health, more mental health issues. And then generationally, our young people don't know how to navigate through things that happen. Anger occurs, you know, we get distressed. There are things in life that happen that we feel powerless to control. And then those manifest in things like abuse. And I'm not a professional in this world at all, but even for me to be in that space and to know that we had um, tens of women, not yet hundreds, because it's a difficult thing yeah. to speak about, but tens of women coming into a physical space and feel that they can actually share a little bit of their story or listen to other people's stories. I feel like that we've moved mountains just by actually being able to do that in this short space of time. So it's a voluntary um, you know, uh, uh, collaboration. Absolutely. We are not profiting from this in any way. It is something that we want to carry on doing in collaboration. Really, really grateful that we can do that. Um, and I think the last thing I'll say is that we're always looking for volunteers. We're always looking for collaborators. Um, and maybe you don't know that you have witnessed or been someone who's experienced domestic abuse. Maybe something will come up when you hear stories and you think, actually, gosh, this, this is part of my lived experience. Maybe then we can help to signpost people onto places like Eve where they can get further support. That's wonderful. Thank you for that, Shanaz. Um, and as Shanaz has just said, around the signposting, that's what it's all about and having our voices heard. Mm -hmm. um, Eve, if you, anyone out there listening now who knows someone who's been impacted by domestic abuse and violence or um, actually may be experiencing domestic abuse themselves, you can go to the website, that's www.eve.org.uk or you can call the hotline, uh, our helpline 01604 230 311. So if there's any difficulty, you need some help and support, that's the uh, website um, and telephone number. We will repeat that again before the show ends. Thank you, ladies. Yeah, you've been amazing. Um, Christine, I want to see you again at some point. I'm sure that's going I to happen. Um, and Shanaz, I know you'll be seeing me in a couple of weeks so um, or next week. Um, but thank you for being here. Today, we are talking about the 16 days of activism. You heard Christine Morgan there, the CEO of EVE, Domestic Abuse Charity in Northampton, talking about a film that's going to be shown tomorrow. That's called Love, and it's about um, the insidious uh, crime of coercive control. And it looks around what coercive control looks like and how it impacts on the family as a whole. Um, it's a really... Um, a good opportunity to understand more about domestic abuse and violence and it fits in with the um, 16 days of action which is around um, campaigning for violence against the eradication of violence against women and girls so that's going to take place at the University of Northampton tomorrow evening you can find more details on Eventbrite just um, search for love question mark and eve domestic abuse charity you will find it and it's on lots of um, on the social media pages as well the facebook twitter and linkedin so let's continue our conversation about 16 days i'm going to give you a bit of background about it the global 16 days campaign is an international campaign to challenge violence against women and girls the campaign runs every year from the 25th of november so it's starting this Saturday and through to the 10th of December. Um, 10th of December. That's um, 16 days. Originally called the 16 Days of Activism Against Gender-Based Violence. Um, it was initiated in 1991 by the first Women's Global Leadership Institute held by the Centre for Women's Global Leadership. So this has been going on since 1991. It's actually quite telling that there are so many people that did not know about this actual campaign. And I'm going to admit, until I started with Eve in 2017, I didn't know about it. So, you know, we need to raise the awareness. 
it's a really serious um, campaign. Gender-based violence, we cannot ignore it and domestic abuse comes into that as well. So with me, we still have Mita, who's kindly stayed uh, for a little while longer on the show. And I'd also like to introduce Parul Patel. Hello, Parul. Hi, how are you? Thank really you good. Me. Thank you for being here. Um, Parul's going to share her story with us a bit later, but I'd like to just touch on the 16 days. Mm. What are your thoughts about it, Parul? You wrote something today that I thought, wow, that was amazing. Tell me, 16 days, what does it mean to you? So for me, I didn't know anything about the 16 days of activism. I didn't know, I'd never heard of it until I got the email from you to come on this show. And I had to actually Google and find out what it was. Um, and then I was obviously very shocked because it's been going for such a long time and how did I not know about it? And I come from a background of coercive, coercive control. So for me, it was like, how did I not know about this when this could have been really helpful? in my situation absolutely right so actually i've raised the awareness today with yourself absolutely yes i i didn't know anything so it was all about googling what it was and purely because i'd just seen it on your email you know so <laughs> it's amazing yeah that's absolutely amazing so there's still work to be done isn't it around this around this campaign okay so Mita, what are your thoughts on it i think it's um a I think it's a brilliant um, campaign and, um, you know, raising awareness about domestic abuse, you know, like going back to She Speaks, that's what we raised that platform for, for allowing women to come forward. You know, Parole, you were also on the panel when we did the talk, same as April. And, you know, a lot of women did come through on that day and we, you know, it raised a lot of um, emotions and sparks mm. and a lot of uh, understanding. We shared a lot, we all connected and, you know, there's a lot of um, follow-up still, there's a lot of work still to do from this and we're really, I'm talking to lots of different people uh, to see how we can still collaborate and uh, raise awareness, more awareness um, in the community. So I'm really looking forward to connecting with the likes of you, April. We've just discussed something. And also, um, Parol, you know, to continue doing this work, sharing your story, bringing awareness and how we can make a difference to these women who are going through this um, Absolutely. domestic abuse. So the, the whole campaign is about violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. being violated because we are women. Yeah. All right. So when you hear stories of what happens um, on a, a, the worldwide platform, mm. when there's wars and what have you, usually it's the women and children who suffer the most yeah. with regards to where there's conflict, there is um, mm -hmm. abuse yeah. and, and rape and violence against women. So we can look at it from an international perspective, but when we're looking at things that are happening um, in our locality, mm. you know, it's still it's still happening. Women being targeted um, and violence used against them in order to um, control um, yeah. how they act. Yeah, what how we how what we say, what we do, the environments mm. that we are in. Mm. Yeah. I'm coming from a very much a patriarchal yeah. um, thinking, so men's thinking around that. Um, so from a cultural perspective, we we see that every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I know I see it and working, I mean, I work in the environment anyway, but we see it in our, in the homes and in our communities. What are your thoughts around that, around this element of patriarchy um, and what that looks like for us? And how can we, I mean, we don't have the answers, we can't solve everything, but are we in a position to raise the awareness for our families, for our immediate communities? Mm. Can we do something about it? 100% we can do something about it. I think it begins with us. You know, we really have to reflect and look inside of us um, to see where we can make a difference. Because for me, it's about making a difference for our future generations. 
okay i have a daughter i don't want this narrative to stay the same where what men says goes you know i have these conversations regularly i cut these things come up with my own family and i get really passionate about you know no you know don't spoil it for us girls you know we need to step up we need to make a difference and show set a good role model behavior how we can break these patterns and set a you know have a better world for our future generations our future daughters future children you know because it cannot keep we can't repeat keep repeating these patterns because if we do then the trauma that is caused by it is just massive so yes it begins with us Parole, mm. what are your thoughts? Um, I know we're going to go into a bit more of your story later on, but when we're talking about um, patriarchy, when we're talking about uh, physical violence um, against women, but it's also that emotional violence, I think, and psychological into terrorism, that in, um, intimidation yeah. of um, women too. Um, what do, you, what do you think? Can we, is there anything we can do about it? Absolutely. So I started raising awareness, I think 2019. 2019 is when I left my relationship. Um, and then I, I was very vocal about what happened. Um, so I'd been quiet for about 30 years with this whole thing, um, purely from, you know, because of society, because of culture and things keeping me quiet. Um, as soon as I left, I think I was very, very vocal. And what happened on the back of that was people approached me saying, thank you for sharing your story, but I really need help. You know, where can I go? So it, I think more, more than anything, I think it's people sharing their stories and showing people that actually you can come out of it and where to pinpoint them to. You know, if, if you can say, look, here's an organisation, these people can help you, these, you know, I can talk to you, I can help you. Um, I think we will raise awareness. I have actually done a talk with um, within our own culture, within our own community of very elderly Asian women. And I was absolutely surprised at, firstly, their reaction, um, because they were all very supportive, uh, because there, there was a lot of women in there that actually put me in the place that I was in, because I was scared of them. Um, but actually to sit there and speak out to them, they were really supportive and they were so grateful because actually things were happening in their own homes and they didn't realize that they could speak up and maybe they won't maybe it's that you know it's the other generation um but just giving them hope and giving them that strength um has made a big difference i see these women all the time so you know it's quite nice to hear Thank you. Thank you both. I, I think they find strength from seeing, as yes. you voice your thoughts and share your story, they find strength from you because they've not been able to Absolutely. express themselves and bring themselves for, yeah. you know, to the forefront to say, this is how I feel, this is what I want to do, because they're so conditioned and, mm. you know, there's a lot of fear there. So it's, it's great that you're going out there to share stories. And the thing is, society needs activists. Mm. Yeah, we does. need to be yeah, the activists. We are the activists. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And continuing to do that work. We've moved forward, but there's still a lot of work to do. A lot of Today, we are talking about the 16 days of action or 16 days of activism or 16 days. There's so many hashtags I'm seeing on social media, um, but it's all alluding to the same thing. This is around activism against the violence against women and girls. So over the next 16 days, starting on the 25th of November, Northamptonshire will be taking part in a number of activities that's um, going to be supporting this campaign. On Friday, I know it's the night before, just a few hours before the 25th of November, but Eva going to be screening the film called Love that is uh, written by Sam Beckinsale. I don't even remember her from um, London's Burning, actress, um, who's written this uh, play, um, sorry, documentary drama around coercive control and this is based on lived experiences. This isn't just kind of taking it as a storyline. This is about people's lives, real people's lives. So if you can attend that, that would be fantastic at the University of Northampton. Um, and on Saturday night, we've got the march. Um, 
around um, reclaiming the night, again, around um, ensuring that our streets are safe for women and girls to walk on and, um, in, uh, in the day and in the night time. So that march has been organised by the Northampton Rape Incest um, Rape Crisis Centre, sorry, in Northampton. Um, a bit more of information around that shortly. And... Yeah, we're going to continue the conversation after the break, after the news. Pearl's going to talk around her experiences around uh, abuse and coercive control. We're talking about 16 days of activism today. Uh, we have a guest in the studio um, that's going to be sharing her story uh, it is follows on from Christine Morgan, the CEO of Eve Domestic Abuse, talking about a film called Love that's going to be screened tomorrow as part of 16 Days of Action um, at the University of Northampton. And the film is about coercive control. So, Pearl, thank you for, for, um, for being here with us. We really appreciate it. Um, We've talked about violence against women and girls, what that looks like and why this campaign is so important, why it's important that we raise the awareness of the campaign, not just for 16 days, but for every day um, mm. of, our, of our lives. But you've got your own personal story with regards to um, abuse, um, domestic abuse and coercive control was part of all of that. So welcome. And we're really thankful that you are sharing your story that's going to help other women um, in our community. Let's just start, shall we? Let, what, were there any red flags before when you first met? You know, just, just give us an, a kind of idea of what your life looked like. Looked like. So thank you, April, for having me here. Um, I'm always really grateful to share my story because I always think it helps so many people. I actually met my now ex um, at university and there was never an attraction. It was not something that, you know, I had pursued, but he had it in his head that he was going to marry me. He was going to pursue me. And that's how it all started. And so we started dating around um, 89, actually, it was uh, December 89. And what had happened really quickly, within a month, I think, um, we'd gone out and he got annoyed at something. And the next thing I knew was he had had me up against a wall with my legs dangling, uh, strangling my throat. And at the same time, my sister was there, his best friend was there, and nobody said anything. And at that point, I actually thought, nobody's saying anything, nobody's coming to save me, so it must be my fault, you know, and... Everything went back to normal straight after it happened. Everyone was acting normal. And these things kind of didn't happen very often, but they happened, I would say, every three, four months. And really, those are red flags that any normal person would have thought, this is not right. <laughs> I, didn't, right. I wasn't in that um, mind frame. I, and I think the thing is, with... So he, he's actually a narcissist. Um, with narcissists, what they do is they will turn the story around. So it was always my fault. It was always something that I had done um, to perpetuate the situation. So there were there were so many red flags, you know. And unfortunately, in our society, when I was growing up, it's a different generation. Mm -hmm. um, and back then, if you were found out to be actually even seeing a guy, you know, dating him even once... Our society just assumed you were going to marry him. Yeah. Um, and he was very clever. He had already infiltrated my entire family. We have a very big family. And he'd already been to see um, my mum's side of the family and my dad's side of the family and got, you know, very close to my uncles and aunts and everybody. So everyone just loved him, absolutely loved him. So for me to back out at that point, it was like, oh, my God, how am I going to even tell anyone that I don't want to marry this guy? Yeah. Um and so we were actually dating for about three years before we even got married, um, you know, because I was still at uni. I had to finish uni and stuff. So, but plenty of red flags and, you know, I just ignored all of them. So we've got this scenario, you're dating, mm -hmm. he's 
infiltrated the family, basically, and showing his best side. Mm -hmm. And even when showing, well, being violent and abusive Mm -hmm. in front of family and friends, which appeared to be normalised or... So he was never violent in front of anyone. Right. Um, You know, so he was very good like this. Um, Everything is behind closed doors, it will be when we get get back into the car or, you know, on the way there, on the way back, things gotcha. like that. Nobody would ever see it. Right, so when he pinned you up against the wall... You... That was the only time. That was the only time. The one okay. time. Okay, so that was the one time, but mm-hmm. everything else was everything behind, else. Closed, behind closed doors. Okay. So from a cultural perspective, you felt you can't go back now because what that mm-hmm. would bring to the family yes yeah yeah and so repercussions yeah. repercussions were and, too big yeah and for yourself because yeah. you were openly dating mm-hmm. and in a relationship yes okay so what what happened after that so we so the red flags were there but mm-hmm. we were going on with this anyway you get married yeah what happened then within so when we got married uh, we moved into his family home which is very normal for us um so he had two older brothers his mum was there and everything was fine but he was very um openly abusive verbally but nobody would say anything so we you know one time we went out and we'd got married in the april by september we'd gone out um, we came back he was so angry and he was screaming and shouting at me and nobody came to stop it and it was very loud um the next morning we woke up and he came down and he said, we're moving out. And nobody stopped that either. And I, at that point, you know, those are massive red flags. And the fact that nobody in the house stopped that made me think, okay, this is very normal. This is, you know, this is my life and this is how I have to live it. But within three months of that, I had already phoned my brother and sister-in-law and said, you need to come round. You know, he's not very nice. You know, he's being violent towards me. And they came, they sat us down and they said, Parol, this is normal. It's just ups and downs in a, you know, in a new marriage. Things right. like this happen. And I thought, well, I look up to you. I respect you. You're older than me. Um, and I've been brought up to respect my elders, you know. So for them to say that, that was like, right, this is it. This is your life. You, mm-hmm. you know, if they don't believe you, nobody's going to believe you. So we carried on like that. And I think it was another two years later, I called them back to the house. And I said, look, you know, this is really bad. And they went, yep, these things happen. It's okay. You know, we just put up with it. And so again, you know, so this was by, by this time, it's about 95. So we got married in 93. Mm-hmm. Um, this was about 95. And um, so this cycle continued. And I, I realized there was nobody I could actually tell that I would, that would actually help me. That would, you know, so... So by this time now, you are isolated. Mm-hmm. So he's taken you from the, the family home, yeah? Yeah. So you're in your own space. Yeah. Um, dealing with this on your own, reaching out for help. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be kind of when you're speaking, this is normalised behaviour. This is very normalised. Right. The other, the other bit of isolation was, um, so I was very close to one of my cousins and... He didn't like that. He didn't like any of my relationships with other people. And so he forbid me to talk to her. And actually, I didn't speak. So she was my closest cousin. We didn't speak for over 10 years um, because he didn't like her. And that was it. He would make excuses and he would say, oh, she's like this or she's like that. You you know, she's a bad influence. You must, you know. And he made it feel normal. But obviously, I knew it was not normal. Um, And when the children came along, they weren't allowed to see her either, you know. So it was kind of like a situation where I knew I should have come out because those red flags were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but by that time, the children had come along and then, you th- you know, there's other responsibilities, mm. you know. And he would always make out that it was my fault. So it was always, um, there was no way out of it, you know. So the control, mm-hmm. you were totally controlled by absolutely. this by this point. Yeah, absolutely. But your your you knew it was wrong. Mm-hmm. You understood that, but you were working with it anyway. Um, I think the the biggest shock for a lot of people when I did leave because I was with him for thirty years before I left. Yeah. Um, 
And the biggest shock was that I was always happy. When anyone saw me, I was always smiling. There was never a sad face, you know, so he could have done anything prior to us being there or after, uh, you know, after we left. But I would always have a smile on my face. I would always greet everyone with a smile. I would always leave with a smile. And so that was a big shock for people that, you know, how did we not see the red flags? What came out afterwards was a lot of his family knew, the extended family um, had inklings that something wasn't right. But the fact that I was smiling, they were never, you know, they thought, oh, she's fine, she's fine. And the reason they had inklings was because apparently his dad did that to his mum. And I wasn't aware of that. Right. So So this, this was normal in their family? Yes. Okay, but no one had shared that information no with In 30 you years, nobody had Until just... after the relationship yeah. was done. Yeah. Wow. So his father had passed away before we met. Um, and his mother, she was the most amazing mother-in-law. You know, she was really, really nice. We got on really well. Um, and I see now why. Because I was very accommodating. So, you know, if I had some clothes on she didn't like, she'd say, oh, can you change your clothes? And I'd literally go and change them but because I didn't want to upset her now I was that daughter-in-law and she loved it um, but at the same time she was a very giving mother-in-law right you know she wasn't demanding of me of uh, anything else Um, and she'd always say to me if you ever have a problem come and tell me you know uh, I would like to hear it but these were problems I was never going to share with her so it was only after I left when actually his brother told me that his dad did that to his mum and all the pennies kind of dropped together and I was like oh my god I see what she was doing I see why she was like coming to me and you know latching on and so being that support yeah she was being the support so being the support knowing knowing what was going on but not saying yes absolutely but giving you that support a friend Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because she understood actually what you may have been going through even though you hadn't articulated that I hadn't articulated it the sad thing is, um, when she when she was so she'd had a few heart attacks and she was in hospital. I'd been to see her, and she called me back and she said, "Oh, I just want to say something." And the one word she used, so we have a saying, "Put up with it," <laughs> and she said that to me. You know, she's she said she whispered in my ear, and I didn't understand what it meant. And I was like, "Why would she say that?" Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually didn't understand until she passed away. And I thought, "Oh my God, she's told me to put up with it because she knows." what I was going through. So that was when, you know, it all came together. Wow. I'm going to <laughs> exhale. Deep breath. And you are still smiling, Peril, telling this story, but, you know, it's given me a lot, and I'm sure the listener, mm-hmm. a lot to to think about. Let's just have a break, and then we're going to talk about this kind of the patterns of... Um, the patterns of abuse, so the cycle of abuse mm. that you um, would have recognised and, and how that was for you and, and how you were in that from an emotional level. We're talking about uh, domestic abuse um, in light of the uh, 16 Days of Activism campaign. Um, and what it means to uh, be a woman that is living under the threat of violence on a daily basis. And today we have uh, Parole in the studio who has shared some of her story uh, around her uh, relationship um, and what that looked like. So Parole, I think we're kind of, everyone's sort of, oof, you know, it takes mm-hmm. a lot of strength to, to share. Yeah, because obviously what we don't want to do is to have triggers you know with memory and what have you because we get what that um, Mm -hmm. can do especially when we're we're talking about the the trauma um of abuse so thank you for having the strength to share with us today um with the whole of northamptonshire and and beyond so now you've got the children um, there is a pattern of behaviour that you're seeing and you're experiencing, not just mm-hmm. seeing, you're experiencing it. What did that look like? That Because I know we, you, you use the term narcissist, you know, around this person's behaviour. Um, other people didn't see mm-hmm. or experience what you were experiencing. Yeah? Yeah. Um, 
there was challenges around getting uh, friends and family to understand what you were going through because no way could that be happening with mm -hmm. this person. So what did it look like? What was it like for you in that abusive environment? So primarily, I didn't even know what narcissist was. That I didn't find out until 2016, 2017. Okay. It was a long time. Yeah. And it was purely a word that somebody had used. And I, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Let me Google that. And that's when the penny dropped. Of everything that was happening was like, oh, my goodness. Okay, this is me. Um, but on a day-to-day -day basis, um, having children, having to do everything, like, and I had to work as well. So it wasn't a question of like, you know, I had three three young children. Um, I was working. I was looking after the home and everything. He was allowed to do everything he wanted to do. I was, you know, like not allowed. But I didn't understand it. Mm. I didn't understand, you know, it was because it was so well kind of... Um, put around me that, you know, oh, you know, if you stay home, I can do this. If you, you know, if you do this, it was nicely done, you know. Right. And so I wasn't aware that I was being coerced into things that I didn't want to do. Yes. Um, you know, and if I wanted to go out, it was like, oh, but if you stayed home, you know, because the kids will need you and things like that. So right. that happened a lot. Um, and so day to day, it wasn't violent or, you know, mm -hmm. I wasn't like hiding all the time. Um, but I was aware that this is not how I want my boys to grow up. Right. Um, it's not how I want my girl to grow up. Mm -hmm. um, but equally, I couldn't change anything. Yeah, you know, because I wasn't—I genuinely wasn't strong enough at that point to make the move. There were a few people who knew um, from day one. There was there were a few people who knew within my family. Um, but again, I couldn't take that move, even though they were saying to me, you need to get out, you need to get out. And I was like, I can't, I can't, this yes. is not me. Um, so day to day, it was, I thought it was absolutely fine. Looking back, clearly it wasn't, um, you know, and I was juggling so much more than I, I actually needed to juggle. Mm -hmm. um, but I was, I was also isolated from my family, you know, like um, having three children with just a four year gap. I didn't have the help from my parents, you know, who were, who actually retired to help me with my children, yeah. but he wouldn't allow it. You know, so it was like, oh no, why does, you know, why does your mom need to come down or why does your dad need to come down? Um, so that was like, because I need help. Um, and he's like, no, you can do it. You're really, you know, you can do it on your own and things like that. So at the time it was, it was very difficult. And also, you know, like in our culture, it was like, oh, but everyone will think, you know, the boy is going back to the girl's house and living off the girl's family, which he actually was doing, but not openly yeah. doing, you know. Yeah. So um, so it was a very difficult situation. But at the same time, I didn't understand it. Yeah. You know, so. So again, that was another part of isolating mm -hmm. you for not allowing yeah. your parents to help, your, your mum to help with children. And saying, oh, and making you think that that wasn't the done deal. Yeah. You know, you can manage that. Again, isolating you, so not letting anyone in. Yeah, so, I, so my mum, my parents would help a lot with the children. But what would happen was then he would turn it around on me, say, saying things like, you know, how can you let your parents look after your children just because right. you want to go out? Right. You know, who were you with? Where were you? You know, why did you go out? So why making you, you feel guilty it was, around yeah, your parents' there was a lot of responsibility. Guilt. Yeah, there was right. a lot of guilt attached. So, yeah, my point was I wanted my parents to be involved because his parents weren't around, right? So his parents had passed away. So I needed that grandparent influence yeah. on my children. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, and also my parents really, really wanted the children. Of course. Um, but um, yeah, there was a lot of guilt attached to it every single time. Um, but with the isolation, you know, so he went off to Spain for nine months um, and left me with three children, um, working and looking after three children because he was going to set up a home for us in Spain. That was, again, it was all part of isolation, which I didn't realise. Um, we moved to Spain for seven years. Uh, when I, it was all about friendships. So I'd built a whole circle of friendships. Yeah. He didn't like it, so we moved to Spain. I built a whole circle of friendships. He didn't like it, so we moved back to England. Oh, my gosh. And none of this I knew until I w learned the word narcissism. Yeah. And I, an incident happened. I told the doctor. She uh, pointed me to a wellness uh, a group who totally blew my mind. 
And, you know, I would say to anyone, anyone, look up the Freedom Program, buy the book. It's so tiny. It's such a good yes. read. And when I read that, it's t 10 tiny little chapters, I think. I can't remember. Um, but it's a book by Pat Graven. And yes. that cemented everything. Yeah. Because the Freedom Programme focuses on the behaviour of mm -hmm. the perpetrator. Yes. Right? Yeah. And this is um, a, a programme that um, so many women have done in order to understand what was yes. or had happened to them. Mm -hmm. It's important that... Um, we don't think about it. Well, why would, why would we care about the perpetrator yeah. or the, or the narcissist? But we need to understand because we're not, sometimes we're I not even clear what's going on ourselves. Yeah. So. I think, April, the, the biggest thing that you can do for yourself is to understand why that person does what yes. they do. Yes. Um, and to be fair, I, ha I had forgiven him before I'd left him. And it was down to the Freedom Program, understanding the psychology behind what he was doing. Yes. Um, you know, the red flags, obviously, I was like, oh, tick, 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 tick. And I, yeah. I could tick all 10 boxes, like the isolation, why you took me to Spain. I was like, oh, you took me to Spain to get yeah. me away from all these people. Okay, yeah. I get that. I get, I understand why now. Mm. Um, you know, and when I understood it, I could actually forgive him for everything and move on. And the forgiveness is not for him. It's purely for me, absolutely. so I can move on, right? So, so that's part of your well-being. Yes, and what have you. absolutely. So here we've got... Um, Things, uh, if you're talking about the narcissist, we're looking at a sense of self-importance, mm -hmm. preoccupation with power and success and yep. beauty, feeling maybe entitled, um, wanting to be surrounded by important and special people. Yep. Um, maybe a little bit of arrogance or a lot. Or a lot. Lack <laughs> of empathy, must be admired mm -hmm. and be in total control of what's going on. Yep. All of the time. All of the time. Wow. Yeah. So that is a story. You know, so it's when you understand the whole reasons behind what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, and what could make them think like that. That's when you actually heal yourself. Yeah. You know, so for me, that's that was the thing. Free Your Mind with April Dawn. And we are with Pearl Patel, who's sharing her story around domestic abuse and coercive control. We're at this place because starting on the 25th of November is the 16 days of activism around um, eradicating violence against women and girls. And domestic abuse is part of that conversation. Parole has shared her experiences with us, um, which is pretty emotional um, and like I said earlier, we thank you for being um, brave to share your story. Um, and especially with regards to the cultural, mm -hmm. from a cultural perspective and the impact around community and what that looks like for the Asian community. Because we do know that domestic abuse is a topic that is still not openly discussed. Yeah. We're starting to, is we're getting there and creating safe spaces to talk, um, but we've still got some work to do um, in the community and other communities as well. So, Pearl, let's talk about recovery. You talked about being on the Freedom Programme, yeah, which mm -hmm. totally opened your mind. You joined groups on social media. Mm -hmm. Yep, so post-divorce groups and yeah. what have you, you understood what narcissism was and how that could be um, related to your experiences with your, with mm -hmm. your ex. Um, you could kind of put the pieces together. So in all of that, what did you do in your recovery? You talked about forgiveness, which is the first, one of mm -hmm. the first things to underpin forgiveness of the other person, what else did you do? What happened? So when I, so I moved back to Northampton, um, it was under police protection and all this. So that, you know, it was kind of a big thing. Um, and so for the first month or so, I actually didn't do anything. I was like, oh my God, I don't know what's just happened. Um, and then I, I knew I needed counseling. I'd already been working towards, uh, you know, all of this beforehand, but I knew 
my mind was not in the right place. So I got hold, I got in touch with mind mm -hmm. and I got myself a counsellor, uh, self-referred. And I did ask them if they would, you know, if they had a, a, a counsellor that was, that understood narcissism, because I knew that's where I needed to kind of heal from. And they didn't, they said yes, but they didn't. And um, I got this trainee counsellor who didn't know anything about narcissism. And I ended up teaching her. And it was quite <laughs> hilarious because I would walk in and I'd say, do you know about this? Like, you know do, you know, do you know about coercive control? And she'd say, no, but I'll learn that for next week. So this week, we'll talk about what we t you asked me last week. And so she'd spend the week learning about something that I would tell her. Wow. Then we would discuss it and then I'd give her another topic. Well, I'm hoping that counsellors have moved on from that now. <laughs> um, you know, uh, partly my fault because mm. she, was, she wasn't narcissist trained. Um, but also it was quite cathartic because I was learning at the same yes. time as she was learning. Right. You know, so that was quite nice. But I had to then think, oh, what topic should we talk about next week? Yeah. And I was like, oh okay, this happened to me and can we, you know, how can I heal from this? Um, so that was kind of like a really big learning curve for me. And then from there, the, the forgiveness is the biggest thing, you know, and when I say he was still abusing me um, after I left, I was still scared to go out of the house um, because I thought he was going to be following me. Mm. He had already tailed me on so many occasions, you know. Um, so stalking was, became part of the abuse. Stalk, I was stalked about three times. I mean, wow. if I told that story, that it would be hilarious. Because mm. um, he would tell me that people are stalking me, but I never met them. And so, you know, at one point I did go to the station and he was fuming that I'd even told the police about it. Yeah. Um, it's part of the but control. But it was part of the control. Mind, it was a mind game. It was mind game. Gaslighting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so... What had what had happened was I was learning what was going on. He was still abusing me at the same time. And, you know, I was getting the phone calls and I'm going to sort you out and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And so it was it was a difficult period. But at the same time, I knew that something was triggering him, but I didn't know what it was, mm. you know, and I had to forgive whatever he was doing so that I could heal. Um, and luckily for me, you know, we've got Facebook and we've got Facebook groups and we've got like WhatsApp groups. So there was a lot of people around me. And I think when you're ready to look for the right help, mm -hmm. the right help will come to you. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're open and that's exactly what happened. Come on. So you, the healing, mm -hmm. we're on this journey. You're still going through some stuff, but you're taking care of yourself. Yes. Okay. You've talked about your journey, your experiences, your journey, your experiences of healing, what that looked like, forgiveness. And a lot of people will be thinking, oh, how could she forgive? But forgiveness is underpins mm -hmm. our recovery. Being on the Freedom Program, joining different groups and what have you, you are amazing and an inspiration. I know this one, I've met you before. <laughs> and two, you're sitting here now and you're inspiring me oh, even more. And you. from uh, friends and uh, people that know you, um, they speak very highly of you. So what are you doing now? You are on the circuit. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing you out there talking about domestic abuse, what it looked like for you and helping other people. What else is it that you're you're doing? How how is this for you? And and tell us what you created out of it and the reasons why. So, I will passionately speak about um, domestic abuse because I think it's something that needs to be spoken about a lot more. Um, I don't think anybody speaks about it enough. Um, so that will always happen. Um, but one of the things that came out of it was I started my own business um, baking cakes. So. A narcissist will always be one up on you. So, you know, if I ironed clothes, he ironed them better than me. If I, you know, washed the car, he washed the car better than me. If I mowed the lawn, he washed, he mowed the lawn better than me. It was, everything was just one up, even down to food. So I couldn't cook. He, he hated my cooking. You know, he'd say, oh, you can't cook, you can't cook. And he would cook better than me. Um, you know, based on I did actually cook every day for my children. Mm -hmm. um, he didn't do that. But in front of other people, he would say that I was useless. And the one thing he couldn't do was actually bake. So when I realized that actually I can bake and he can't bake and it's not something that he can take away from me or even criticize, um, 
you know, it may, it pushed me to bake more. So while we were in Spain, I opened up a coffee shop selling cakes and um, bakes and things. And it's kind of just gone on from there. So I came back um, to the UK and I went back in, I'm actually an accountant. So I went back into accounting. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, you know, the universe just opens up different different doors for you. And while I was doing that job, I had the opportunity to bake for the company um, mm-hmm. alongside my day job. And that got me into cakes and that, you know, randomly got in, got into wedding cakes because a couple came and said, we would like to make our wedding cake. And so now I make wedding cakes. Um, wow. You know, so, and I absolutely love it. But I think the bigger thing was, it's just finding something for yourself that you can do that absolutely takes you away from that little space. You know, so day to day, it was like, I would bake in the middle of the night while everybody else was sleeping because I needed to switch off from the trauma of the day. And so I would wake up at night, I would, ba- you know, bake into the uh, morning and then get up, go to work, you know, sort the kids out and everything else. So so this was therapeutic for It was you. very therapeutic. And yeah. something that you held dear, that you could yeah. do, that he could not And it was criticize. really helping my yeah. uh, my creativity, Wonderful. you know, like, so it was helping me to heal from everything that was happening in the daytime um, by just throwing myself into something else. Yeah. And I think the thing is, when you find something that you're really passionate about, it's a form of meditation, yeah. you know. So when I'm actually creating cakes and things, I'm actually in a meditative state, you know. Nothing yeah. else is kind of like around you yeah. and you could just switch off from everything. So it's kind of nice to just have something to fall back on. So you've got this thriving business now. Yes, absolutely. You're talking about your experiences, helping other people. Mm-hmm how you can in your with what yes. you with your capacity and being an inspiration i want to thank you for being with us today uh, it, did you say the name of your business sorry my um so my cake company is, is called silverleaf cake company and i'm based in northampton yes. um and i absolutely love it yeah well i'm gonna order a cake <laughs> i can't wait to taste what your baking's like thank you so much for being with us today April, um, thank you so much for opening that space that is absolutely fine. Um, Parol's going to be at the screening of Love with a question mark film tomorrow at the University of Northampton, which is part of Eve's organisation. They've organised this as part of the 16 Days of Activism campaign. Um, you can find out more. Go to Eventbrite and um, do a search called Love with a question mark and Eve domestic abuse you will definitely find it is absolutely free but you do need to register to attend thank you so much parole it's been amazing um and i will see you all next week